So uh, we've been on quite a journey. We are uh, at the end of, of Faith with Friends. Well, hopefully we're not the end of Faith with Friends, but at least the series where we're at the end of this series of Faith with Friends where we've been going through the book of First Peter and looking at different words out of the uh, book of First Peter like hope and how we're meant to be a community of hope and community of passion and a uh, community of followers of Christ we okay back there? All right, good. And uh, com- compassion, see, uh, without any, uh, making sure our tech people are okay. And uh, uh, this week, we're actually looking at the word uh, protect. And, and this word protect, uh, I think this is just so important in do, uh, having faith with friends, the church. The reality is that we protect things that we care about, right? That, that we, uh, you know, you care about your car, uh, you know, you protect it with insurance, uh, you know, you protect it by parking it in the garage. Uh, well, some of you, some of you think your garage is not for cars, but for, for everything you don't know where to put it. Uh, take it to Goodwill. And uh, uh, also, like, you know, people really care about their cars. You can tell, like, one of the hallmark of people that care about their cars is where they park, right? If you really care about your car, you, you'll park at the back of the parking lot where, where no one is. Uh, uh, up until recently, I had a, a, a Jeep. It was a Jeep Wrangler. I called it my heap of a yeep. And I didn't care where I parked that thing. I didn't care. You could, you could run it over with a shopping cart. It wouldn't, have, it wouldn't matter to me. Now I got a little Mini Cooper, which I really like. So I don't like park all the way back with the Porsches, you know. But, but I'm kind of like, I try to find a spot that, 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 you know, isn't being crowded by, you know, these monster cars or, or anything like that. Plus, I'm afraid, like, if somebody with a big old truck, they'll just pick up my Mini and throw it in the back and take it home. And uh, I'd be sad. I'd have to walk home. So, you know, uh, we protect our car. We also, we protect our family, right? Yeah, I mean, we do different things. Uh, We buy life insurance. I bought life insurance. If I get hit by a bus, you know, my my family can go on. I mean, that's a protection mechanism. We buy health insurance. Uh, We... uh, some people buy security systems, right, uh, for, their, for their homes. Other, uh, you know, all of us put locks on our doors. You know, we're not locking people in, right, presumably. We're, we're locking people out who we kept. Why? Because we want to protect our family. We also try to live in, you know, the best neighborhoods that, that we can. You know, and most of us, you know, when we're going to a new city or something, you know, we ask, you know, what's a good new neighborhood to live in. We don't say, you know, what's the most dangerous neighborhood to live in. I mean, just, we do that. Why? Because, because we care about our families and we want them to be protected. We also protect our futures. We try to protect our future by giving money to retirement, uh, you know, by be educating ourselves. We go to school and college and, and different things like that. So the same is true. And, and I, I, go through all this because I want to get you thinking about how do you protect your faith with friends? How do, how do we protect the church? And, um, 
And there are some different things, you know, if you don't really think about this very much, there's some very different things that, the, that need protection in the church. And, and basically, when I was thinking about it, it really comes down to math. The church needs to be protected from math, right? Uh, the church needs to be protected from division in the church. The church needs to be protected from subtraction. The church has to uh, be protected from additions, and, and there's also uh, protection needed during multiplication. And I just want to run through these before we get into First Peter. Uh, uh, the first thing that the church needs, needs uh, protection from is division. In Titus, Paul writes Titus in uh, chapter 3, verse 10. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. And it's pretty hard. Some would even say that is vicious. When I was uh, a, a new pastor in, in California, I was bivocational, uh, meaning I had a job and I, vol- you know, and I worked as a, as a pastor. That's usually what that, what that means. And... and I had a mentor come to me once, and, and he, he told me, he looked me in the eye, and we were talking about community, and he said, Mark, viciously protect community. I remember that really kind of kicked me on my heels, just that word vicious. You know, you don't think vicious with Christianity, right? Uh, at least you shouldn't, and you don't think you should, but this idea that, that what he was getting at was you need to be aware that, that you know what, you don't, you don't need to viciously protect a building. You don't need to viciously protect equipment or stuff. But when it comes to the community, that, that you need to protect it with every ounce of your being. And, and really, uh, in these next scriptures, that we're going to kind of see this idea of protecting community that God has put us in, protecting faith with friends above all these other things. And so much for, you know, if there's divisions among us, Paul is writing Titus and saying, you know what? Warn somebody once. Warn them twice. And then, you know what? Third strike and they're out. Why? Because it is that important. Because the reality is, I, I, I say that I don't, I don't believe there's a lot of things that can destroy the local church from the outside. But we can destroy ourselves quicker than anybody. I heard a pastor once say about the church, he said, I'm not worried about the woodpeckers, I'm worried about the termites, the silent killers. You know, a a woodpecker can peck on your house all all day, right? Especially my house, because it's got those uh, uh, concrete boards. You know, have at it. Pow, pow, pow. You know, but the termites, the termites will eat you from inside until the whole thing collapse. And this is why Paul here is writing Titus like, hey, you know what? Viciously protect community. Do not allow division to go on in your community. The next one is subtraction. Jesus in, in uh, John chapter 17 is is uh, praying and, and really summing up his whole ministry before he goes to the cross. And he's praying to God and saying, look, during my time here, I protected them by the power that the, of the name that was given me. 
I guarded them so that not one was lost. And then he has this little caveat, except for the one who was destined for destruction, uh, as the scriptures foretold. And, uh, you know, this kind of this idea that, that, you know what, out of the 12 that he was entrusted with, that, that he was able to protect those 11. Now, this morning I was reading through that and I was like, I was wondering what Jesus' percentage rate on protection was. You know what? Uh, protecting 11 out of 12 it, he, is, he, uh, he had a 91.7% ratio going. It's pretty good, right? You know, of the, you know, this idea of elevating, this idea of protecting who is around us, but knowing that, you know what, it's not always, sometimes people are just self-destructive and there's nothing that you can do about it. But our, I, but one of the principal ideas is that, you know what, we have to watch out for subtraction. We don't want see people just fall away by the wayside because of our indifference, that we need to protect them. The next one is addition. And in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 15, Jesus says, look, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they are really vicious wolves. You see, the enemy is vicious. Community is never at a standstill. It is either growing closer together and toward the heart and mind of God, or it is being pulled away. And the enemy comes in and and tries to cause division, tries to subtract and pull people away from faith with friends. And also there's additions to the church of people who, who try to come in and bring false doctrine and, and to elevate the law of God over the love of God. And we as a community have to protect our faith with friends. We as a community have to protect our church. I have a dear friend, John Kaiser. He planted four oaks uh, up, in, up in Killarney. He's now in, in Canada. And he used to say all the time that there's blessed additions to the church and there's blessed subtractions. <laughs> and uh, it, it's absolutely true that, that there are some blessed additions. There's people that come to our churches that they're just an instant blessing. I'm sure all of you are, are that. Uh, there's also blessed subtractions where, you know, like when they leave, like, or if you left and you were a blessed subtraction, they had a party. I mean, it's just it's the, way, the way it is. And it's true, it's the, opposite, or the opposite is true as well. This I, idea that, that there are additions that, that are not healthy for a church, that people are coming in with alternative motives. And there, there are exits that, 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 and minuses that are not a reason for celebration. They're not a blessing that, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a time of grieving. And then the final one is multiplication. And I think a lot of times we think multiplication, you know, isn't that great? You know, believers being added, and that is true, but it comes with an idea of protection as well. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, there's the first part here. But as the believers 
rapidly multiplied. I mean, exciting times, right? 3,000 being baptized, all these people coming to Christ, really exciting times. There were rumblings of discontent. So even during the multiplication times, even during the good times, that we have to have a spirit of protection. Now, Peter here is going to be speaking to two different groups in this, in this, uh, in this part of Scripture. And this is so important for us to get either group that we are in. He's going to be talking to those of us who are kind of the elder statesmen, those of us who have been following Christ for quite some time, those of us who are leaders and elders in the, in the church, those of us who, are, who uh, have been entrusted with the mantle of, of mentorship. And then also, uh, Peter's going to be speaking to those of us who, who are, are coming up, the next generation, those who who um, are still uh, more consumers uh, in, in nature just because of their, their age and being more breathed into than, than they're breathing life into other people. And he's speaking to those two groups. So if you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, And now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ. Now remember last week we talked about uh, that word suffering is pathos. And, and this is actually a, uh, uh, out of the same root, this suffering, it's uh, pathomata. And, and this really is speaking more of the affliction of Christ, how he witnessed the actual physical suffering of Christ, but it also carries with it the willingness to suffer as we talked about last week, the pathos meaning to, uh, to willingly suffer a passion um, or a sacrifice. Remember last week when we talked about sacrifice from the Latin is sacra means sacred and vice means to perform. This idea that when we suffer for Christ, we are performing the sacred. And this is what he's talking about to those of us who are elders, to those of us who are older, those of us who've lived life a little more, uh, those of us who are a little more seasoned. Um, he's saying, look, I too witnessed Christ. I'm one, I'm one of you guys. And, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. And as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. So, if you uh, are, you know, it, older and you've been walking with Christ for a while and, and, you know, you've kind of moved into this, you know, I'm more of a contributor this, um, today, that, that Peter is writing specifically to us, to you, saying these are the kind of things that I want you to take on, that I want to make this appeal to you. And he talks about some do's and he talks about some don'ts. And in verse 2, he says, number one, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that are entailed about caring for something, right? I mean, think about something that you care for. Do you care for your car, your house? Do you care for a child? If you care for something, you're in charge of it, right? That, that 
you may not own it, but you've been entrusted, it's been entrusted to you to make sure that it is uh, well taken care of, that it is safe. And Peter's making this appeal to those of us who are elders, those of us who are, are the contributors, those of us who are mature or more mature in the church that, that, hey, you know what? You need to care for the church. Care for what God has entrusted to you. And let me tell you, God has entrusted this faith with friends. God has entrusted this church to us. Next thing he says to do is to watch over it willingly. And he says, don't, this is a don't, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. In that little part, he says these three things. Look, watch over and be eager. And don't do it grudgingly. I think a lot of times, you know, uh, we can be given a task on something. And our attitude, we talked about attitude last week. You know, our attitude can be uh, really great and go in with it with a willing attitude and it to be um, a sacrifice, a willing suffering where we perform as sacred and it almost becomes or it does become an act of worship. But if we do it with a begrudging attitude, it brings this air of negativity to it and, and it diminishes who we are in Christ. He also goes on in verse 3 says don't lord it over don't lord it over the people assigned to your care have you ever been lorded over yes you have i've been lorded over you've been lorded over none of us like it it and when you do it to somebody else they do not appreciate it either and this idea that, you, you know what, if we, we as the elders are, are in charge of the church, that we are taking ownership of the church that God has entrusted to us, that we don't do it with a, with a spirit of lording over people, but with a, with a spirit of love and compassion and, and, and a spirit of, you know what, I am here to build you up. I am here to contribute to your, to your growth. And he says that by this. He says, don't lord it over to the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. That's so much harder to do than lord it over people, right? You know, wouldn't it be so much easier if we could just whack people over the head with a King James Bible and say, now live it? But this whole business about, about, no, don't lord it over people. Lead them by your own good example. Ah, that's really, really tough. And you have this, this image, right? Like if we could really live this out, that, that, that our good example would be the, the marker, would be the example. Um, I, I, there's people in this community that... that that I look to. And, and when I think about when, when Paul says things like, if you've seen anything um, that I've done, if you know, see me doing anything, put these things into practice. This idea of, of being a good example. 
You know, there was that popular kind of Christian fad a while back, the WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? But but really, uh, in this kind of, in this context of what what, uh, Peter is talking about is that that we should be the avatar of Christ. We should, we should live lives that, that are teaching the, the next generation, those of those who, were in, who are entrusted to us. I think about uh, like when I, if I'm going to do something questionable, which is, you know, all the time, or I'm wondering, hey, should I do this? I actually, I have somebody that comes in mind, and, and my little initials is W-W-A-G-D. What would Amy Gortney do? <laughs> I, if you don't know Amy Gortney, she's this amazing, godly woman. And, and she really is that good example uh, to me. Like, I'm thinking, all right, you know, would, would Amy Gortney bring the smackdown on me if, if, if I did this? You know, and it, the, other, the opposite is true too. Like, if you're all over me and like saying, Mark, you know, you are from the pits of hell and, and all this kind of stuff, I'll call up Amy Gortney and I'll be like, Amy, you know, what do you think about this? And if she says like, you know, yeah, you're good. I'm good. Like, you can say whatever you want. Amy Gortney's on my corner. We're going to take you out. So, you know, this idea, but having people in our community that, that have been walking this life so much and so long that they're like a, 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 uh, the physical expression of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that is what we are to be, those of us who are elders, to the next generation, to those who are younger in Christ. That is the bar. He also uh, says this, after all of that, after we do that, and when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. That's kind of the reward that we receive for serving him well. Bible tells us about, about someday when, when we have uh, lived this earthly life, that we'll stand in front of our creator and the sweetest words that we can hear is, well done my good and faithful servant. But leadership is hard. Being, being a contributor is hard. It requires to perform the sacred. It, it requires sacrifice, a willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to suffer. And when we lead, there's a price to leadership. There's a verse, Romans 12, 8, that I have to constantly remind myself of when I do not want to pay the leadership price, when I do not want to pay the price of being an elder, to, of being kind of the example in the church. There's all sorts of conversations that I don't want to have. There's all sorts of interactions that I do not want to have. And whenever I feel myself saying, you know what, I'm shrinking away from those responsibilities, I go to Romans 12 verse 8 and remind myself that, that God has given me leadership ability and I need to take that responsibility seriously. And the truth is, as an elder of the church, as someone who's been walking with Christ, that you are a leader in the church. You are a leader among our faith community with friends and that, that you do not get a, a buy on this. 
that it is incumbent upon you to seek out the next generation and breathe words of life into them and to show them what it means to be a strong woman or man of God. Ronald Reagan used to say about freedom that freedom is only one generation away from extinction. The same is true of the Christian church in America. That the Christian church in America is only one generation away from extinction. You don't believe me? Go to Europe. Took a generation off. Faith with friends is nearly non-existent. The, the price is, and the stakes are that great that we cannot say, you know what, someone else is going to do it. It is our time. It is your time to stand up and show the next generation what it means to be a stalwart giant, woman and man of faith. And not to lord it over them, but to live is a good example. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, he switches his focus to the next generation coming up. He says, in the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. You know, those of us who are young, I, I, I tell people, you know, before I led a church, I could have told anyone how to do it correctly. Now I'm going to write a book on how not to lead a church. Before I had kids, I could have told you how to parent. And I, I knew everything about parenting until I had my two adorable children who taught me I know nothing about parenting. You see, when we don't know and when we're young, I'm just going to put it out there, we don't even know what we don't know. I thought I knew everything until I realized that I know nothing and that I exist only by the grace of God and the grace of those around me. And I was told that when I was young and maybe, you know, you're in your teens or, or lower 20s right now and, and you're hearing this and like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it figured out. And what Peter is saying here, and you know what? I'm not going to just slough it off on him. I'm saying it. No, no, no. You may know a lot, and your insight is valuable, and we want to hear it. And you have, have passion and words and ideas that are ordained from God, and you should be proud of those. But also say, you know what? I need to progress with a spirit of humility. Peter puts it this way, quoting out of scripture actually, plagiarist. <laughs> and all of you serve each other in humility for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God and that the, at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And let, let me just just communicate this to you guys. I know that you want to lead. 
I know that you want the authority. I know you want, you know, you want your ideas to matter. But you do not want that in your time. Because getting what you want in your time, even getting what God has planned for you in your time and not his, is a curse. And if you say that you have enough trust in God to save your soul, then trust him with your plan. And maybe you'll find out that it's not his plan. And that, you know what, maybe he will unveil to you that you never even dreamed about. But that cannot happen unless you follow in humility. Finally, he says, stay alert. And this is for all of us. So if you checked out, come back. Verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. And then he gives us three things in this closing idea. He says, number one, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, look, looking for someone to devour. You want to know something about lions? They're opportunists. Opportunists. Is that right? Yeah, they're opportunists. Or they're opportunists. Oh, that's too much. We'll just go with opportunists, all right? They're going to, you know, they, they don't take the leader out of the pack. They don't take the middle. They take the one who is kind of struggling. When I'm doing triathlons and stuff, you know, I, I figure I don't need to be first, but I definitely don't want to be last because that's what Jaws is going to pick that person off. Lions are the same way and Satan is the same way. The enemy is looking for those who are, who are struggling. They're looking for an opportunity to strike. And Peter's like, watch out. Remember, community is never at a standstill. Our communities are growing closer to the heart and mind of God or we are drifting away. And we need to be diligent in watching out, all of us, all the time. Second one is to stand firm. We have to stand firm against him and be strong in our faith. To stand up and say, you know what? We are going to follow Christ. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. That we are going to stand firm in our faith. And then finally, remember. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal goal, glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. You see... This letter was written 2,000 years ago to a church on the outskirts of Rome. But it is relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago because our enemy is the same. The enemy 2,000 years ago was 
roaming around looking to devour and destroy and to divide and to subtract and to add and to bring disgruntledness because of the gospel. And it come then upon us to watch out, to stay alert, to remember that our, the struggle is not only ours, but it has echoed through all time and space. And that we need to take our responsibility upon ourselves that God has entrusted to us to be champions of the church, champions of our community of faith with friends. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I just, um, I know that at times... I have not taken my leadership, my, uh, my age, my influence with all the responsibility that you expect. God, I just pray that all of us who are elders in the church, those of us who are leaders in the church, those of us who have influence, that we will take this responsibility seriously. That we will not be, we will not wait to act or to be asked to act. But we will seek out those who we can breathe life, life into, that we can mentor And God, I just pray for those who are the next generation. That you will embolden them with their holy discontentment about the way things are, but also do it with a spirit of humility. To not throw out all the good that you are doing with some of the just humanistic things that go along with being in a broken, messy community. But that way will open up their lives and allow people to speak into it and to allow the refinement process to happen. And that in your time, you will lift them up and make them the next generation of leaders and elders in the church. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 